Well, as we uh, get situated here, I want to take a few moments uh, to address the moms. And, um, you know, Stacy had mentioned yesterday we, uh, we had some flowers available. They are right here. If, if, I don't know if you could see them. Maybe you can. But we had these flowers available, and many people came by the church to pick them up for their mom or for themselves or for their kids or whatever. Uh, there are some left, so if you want to come by this afternoon, let's say between the hours of 1 and 3, we'll leave that side door in the foyer. Uh, feel free to come in and just uh, take a flower uh, for your mom or for yourself if you want to be blessed in that way. But um, I want to say some things about mothers. But before we do, uh, we're going to present a, a video uh, that's called uh, Mothers of the Bible. And uh, it's about a minute and a little bit longer, so uh, give your attention to this video, and I'll be back in just a a minute to uh, follow up on motherhood. Motherhood plays an important role in the Bible. It binds the beginning and the end. These stories offer us a glimpse into the heart of God, and so we start at the beginning. Taken from the side of Adam, gifted with bringing forth life, The first woman was named Eve. She was the mother of all living. But she was also a mother in her own right, the first of many mothers to come. Though Sarah's womb was closed, God promised nations and kings would come from her. Ten years pass and motherhood seems as impossible as the day it was promised. But the Lord is faithful to keep his promises, and Sarah bore a son who made her laugh. Leah was the firstborn, overlooked by her husband Jacob, who gave his heart to her younger sister. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Despite Jacob's disdain, she found her motherhood in the Lord. When Pharaoh became angry at the fruitfulness of the Hebrews, Jochebed sacrificed her motherhood for the sake of her son. When Pharaoh's daughter saw the child, she had compassion on him. Because of Jochebed's sacrificial motherhood, the Israelites found freedom. Naomi was a mother who experienced the loss of her sons. Yet she gained a daughter in Ruth who declared, For where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Naomi and Ruth became family by faith. Mary, a virgin and not yet married, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The motherhood of this blessed woman was more than the continuation of a family name, but a means for God to bring a savior into the world to save his people from their sins. From the garden, the cross. There have always been mothers. These women paved the way for all women, representing the full spectrum of the ways one could be called mom. Whether a mother in faith, mentorship, adoption, or by birth, you play an important role in the stories of generations to come. To all the Sarahs, Leahs, Jochebeds, and Naomis, Happy Mother's Day.
Well, happy Mother's Day. Wasn't that a great video? A little bit longer than I thought, but um, I think it really concisely uh, brings about some great qualities of various mothers in the Bible. In fact, in a few minutes, I'm going to be preaching on that subject. But, you know, uh, yesterday I, I looked up the word mother uh, online. I wanted to get a, 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 a definition. And uh, the definition that I found said female parent. And I thought, that is really lacking, <laughs> really insufficient. When I think of moms, based on my experience, both as a son, as a husband and a father, as a pastor for many years, I think of words like counselor, teacher, therapist, psychologist, friend, community organizer, chauffeur, cook, cleaner, a laundromat operator. I think of words like uh, a stabilizer, a peacemaker, a nurturer. I think of words like, what is a mother? A wife? A former wife? A wife-to-be? There are married moms, single moms, stepmoms, adoptive moms, spiritual moms. And there's moms with hurts, and moms with a lot of questions. There are moms of deceased children, moms with strained relationships with their children, moms that never knew their own moms, moms whose moms are deceased. There are moms who are moms emotionally, but not physically. There are sisters, women, that desire to be moms, but couldn't or didn't or are still waiting to be. And there are some moms that never really knew their children, never knew them at all. But all moms want respect and honor and deserve it and deserve recognition. I said it earlier. I, I say this because no, <clears throat> no one really knows all that you do. And, and, and you husbands, listen, I was there. I've been there. I never knew all that my wife did for our children until I was home sick from work one day many years ago. I couldn't wait to go back to work, to get out of the nut house. Not really, but it was just so busy. And I, I saw this schedule and I saw, oh my goodness, my wife does this every day. And I would leave home and go to, go to my workplace and just come home. And, but she, every day, faithfully ministering, teaching, helping, you know, mentoring the children. So today, ladies, mothers, I want you to know, God sees what you do. He sees all that you do. And today, your church recognizes what you do. And we call you blessed. And we give you honor. And we give you praise today. I want to recognize a few ladies in my life, and I'm just going to hold this flower symbolically. I wish I could give it to these dear people, but my mother, Margaret Warlick Amendola, is 93 years young. She's living in Rye, New York. Uh, she was married to my dad for 59 years before he passed away in 2005. My mom had four children, nine grandchildren, 
and I think I got this right, 21 great-grandchildren. And the greatest tribute I could give to my mom is that she taught me how to be faithful to God and how to love people. I was so happy last week after the service. If you remember, we had communion together last week. And I called my mom, and we were talking, and she goes, yeah, I I had communion with you today. I said, you did? She goes, oh, yeah, I got my little water and my cracker, and uh, I had communion with you in the church. That was such a blessing to me. I can't even tell you how, how, how good that was in my spirit and in my soul. So, Mom, we love you, and here's a flower for you. And God bless you. I appreciate you so much. My mother-in-law, Louise Petty Quinn, um, is now with Jesus. In 2011, she passed away. She was 96 years young, very active. Many of you may remember Louise when she would visit here. But she had six children, 14 grandchildren, and we think 18 great-grandchildren. The greatest tribute I could give my mother-in-law is that she loved God. She would read her Bible, and she loved her family right behind her love for God. Not to mention the fact that she gave me the best wife in the world, Pamela. So I am really indebted to her. And my wife, Pamela, Pamela Quinn Amendola, my lovely wife of, will be 43 years this July, Pamela, I wish you a happy Mother's Day. You've been the best mom and grandmom that I've ever seen. You know, Pamela and I met when we were young. She was 20, and I was 24. And about a year, year and a half later, we got married, and we'd been on a journey together uh, to North Carolina, to New York, to Massachusetts. We'd been on a journey serving Jesus, uh, serving the body of Christ, and really helping one another in the process of that. But we have three children and eight grandchildren. Pamela is the the love of my youth and the love of my life. The greatest tribute I could give to Pamela is is the word faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to me, and faithful to our family. She's my greatest gift after salvation. This is for you. I also want to take a minute to recognize, um, I think I got this right. Pastor Bill, maybe you could help me. Um, Annette and Kenneth Babu had, had their first child earlier Elijah. this year. I think she's the most recent mother to have a baby. Elijah. The, the first, her first baby. So, Annette, happy, mother's, happy first Mother's Day to you. And also I want to mention uh, a few ladies that are pregnant uh, with their first babies. Uh, Bethany Nato is pre- uh, pregnant. Adriana, Pastor Bill's daughter, is also pregnant for the first time. And we have two other ladies that are pregnant, not with their first baby, but with their, I don't know, second or third or fourth. But Lily Bonilla and Lily uh, Devereaux, uh, we want to commend you and want to pray for all of you. Um, I do want to read one scripture, if I can. It's in Proverbs uh, chapter 31, a couple of verses here. Proverbs 31, um, we read, um, this, is, this is referring to a godly woman, in this case a godly mother. She shall open her mouth with wisdom, 
and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Can I get an amen right there? No idleness. <laughs> the children rise up and call her blessed. Many daughters have done well, but you, you mothers of God, you mothers of wonderful children, <clears throat> you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So mothers, we honor you today. If you were here, I'd have you all stand up and we'd all be clapping for you. But thank you for your, your love of God and your love for your children. And, uh, and I know how that works because when you have children, you get involved with other children, either through nieces and nephews or other kids that are friends, and your influence is even greater than your own uh, biological children. So let, let's pray for our moms uh, as we honor them today. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for every mother out there. And uh, may each one, Lord, sense right now as we pray, right now, may they sense your blessing and your, your, your pleasure with them. Lord, none of us are perfect. And even if we were, there would still be problems. But none of us are perfect. We pray, Lord, for every mom to feel your love, your acceptance, your pleasure, and your empowerment to keep on going. So we pray, Lord, for the families to be blessed and for this day to be memorable for all of our moms. And maybe for some families, this will begin a new a new phase, a, a, new, a new thing in their family to honor the, the mothers of the family each and every day in some way. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. So again, if, if you want to pick up one of these flowers later, uh, we'll have the, the door unlocked there, the side door off the parking lot between uh, 1 and 3 today. That would be great. Um, I want to take a minute for some quick announcements before Pastor Bill comes and shares about the offering. Uh, the only announcements we have is that we're, we're keeping close in touch with our district, uh, with the political uh, scope of, the, of, our, of our community, regarding when we're going to be able to get back together again. Hopefully we'll have some news with a, within a week or so, uh, depending on our governor and, and what's going on there. Uh, but we definitely miss everybody. I, I, I lay awake at night thinking about everybody, who to call, who to contact. You know, did someone get a touch? I can't wait till we all get back together again. But I, I have a feeling initially it may be done in a little bit different way, uh, having smaller numbers initially. Uh, we'll have to set up a system to do that and ha maybe have multiple services throughout the, the day of Sunday. But we will let you know about that as, as soon as we find out. So we're live streaming, of course, Sunday morning at 1045, Sunday evening at 6. Uh, we are live streaming on Tuesday from 12 to 1230. And Thursday, 12 to 1230, we're calling it Tuesday Talk and Thursday Talk, uh, just a little devotional time. And, of course, Wednesday night at 7 for our Bible study. Uh, in addition, we have our Zoom meetings for men, for women, for Nexus, our our young adult group, and The Forge, our youth ministry. Uh, so contact us regarding information about that. So at this time, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a...
little bit of a prayer and talk about our offering, Pastor Bill. Why don't you come and greet everybody? Good morning, church. I uh, first wanted to uh, wish happy Mother's Day to all the moms, um, and especially to my wife, who, um, you know, when I left my mom, she took on that role in a way. She's, not, she's my wife, I know, but she, in a lot of ways, she took on the motherly roles of even me and my children, and um, she's been a blessing to my life, and uh, I wouldn't be who I am today without her, so that's for sure. Um, I woke up yesterday morning, and there was a scripture on my heart, and um, that's what I wanted to share today. And um, I woke up, and I, well, this month is about vision. And um, right now, this is a tough time, I think, for people to have vision and to see vision. But with everybody losing jobs, everybody not knowing what the future shows, everybody not knowing what to do or where to go or what's the next step sometimes, we do need vision. But where's that vision going to come from? Is it going to come from our government? Is it going to come from the, the world? Is it going to come from the media? Or is it going to come from God? And, and the one, the, the, you know, the, these words were on my mouth when I woke up yesterday. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then it says, in all of your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. That comes from Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And that's where we, I think all of us as Christians need to be, in a place where we trust. It's not something for all of us easy to do. We need to trust with our finances. We need to trust with our jobs. We need to trust what's going to happen with church. We need to even trust our government to a point. We do. We do. We need to trust that, 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 that the Lord's going to lead us, the Lord's going to protect us, the Lord's going to guide us through these times and through our future. And, that, and let our vision come from Him. Let Him be the one who leads our path. Let Him be the one who makes our path straight. And then it goes on and says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And then it says... This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. So as we um, get ready for the offering today, let us just realize no matter what, let us have vision. We have a vision for a new building. That is something that we've been supporting, and we are still supporting. I still see the money coming in. That vision is not lost. That vision is still there. God is in control of that. God is in control of what happens to this church. God is in control of what happens to all of us. And we need to trust in him through this time. So if you have an offering for the, for, for the building, for this special offering, for your tithes, or for missions, or for whatever, whatever else, other way you want to bless anybody or do anything, you know, um, you can give it through um, mailing it to the office at 966 Main Street. Or you can go onto our website and, um, and, and um, press give and give through that. Or you also can arrange for us to pick up or for you to drop off. So I'm going to pray. But let's just, just learn to trust in the Lord no matter what. Trust in the Lord. Lord, let us pray today, Lord Jesus, that we can just trust in you, Lord. Trust in your ways. 
lean on you and your understanding, not our own, with our finances, with everything, with our jobs, with everything, with our future, Lord. Let our future and our vision come from you. Let everything come. Let you be the one who breathes life into each and every one of us and gives us vision, Lord. Let the vision come from you, Lord. I pray that right now, Lord Jesus. And whatever goes forward, Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that we would just trust in you with everything we have, Lord Jesus, and know that you, we submit it all to you, and you will lead our path straight. I pray that right now, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all, and a happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Certainly appreciate your ministry and your faithfulness. Our love to Heidi as well. Well, if you would, uh, church, take out your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be reading some selected verses from there, and uh, then we have a whole thing to talk about regarding that video that we just saw about mothers in the Bible. Uh, but um, last week we started uh, the new month of May, and uh, the theme for this month is vision. Last Sunday we shared a, a, um, a sermon entitled, What Do You See? And we concluded by, by these three points. We hope and we pray that we could all see the grace of God at work, even during this time of the coronavirus. We hope and pray we could see the power of God in it. And we we hope and pray that we could see the peace of God at work during this time. So uh, today, uh, as we celebrate Mother's Day, uh, we're going to be continuing with that theme of vision. I've entitled this uh, message, Through Eyes of Faith. And uh, it is relevant to our mothers, but hopefully it'll be relevant for all of us. Uh, Mother's Day is often met with a wide range of emotions, such as, am I doing a good job or have I done a good job? Could I have done better? What if? I want to encourage moms and I want to encourage everyone this morning to really try to see things through the eyes of faith and not to second guess everything. Not to think what could have been because that will surely lead us down a path of uncertainty and speculation and unnecessary worry and grief. We, we must live and think and see through the eyes of faith. Let me ask a question. Is what we ever do perfect? Is, is what we ever do really good enough? The answer is no. Honestly, Could we have done things better, each and every one of us? Absolutely. But here's the thing. What is, is. And we can't change it. But today we can begin to see things through the eyes of faith and to trust God as never before. I want to refer to Romans 8.28. We won't turn to it, but it says, All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. I think back on my life and my my parenting and my family, and could I have done things differently? Oh, you better believe it. Would I, if I could go back? Absolutely, I would, but I can't. But I have to trust God that all things, even my mistakes, are going to work together for something good and powerful. I want to start out with with these three things, and we're going to close by praying about these three things real quickly. If if you're writing notes, uh, you may want to write this down. 
We're trusting the Lord to redeem our efforts. In other words, our past efforts, our current efforts, to redeem them, to make them be better than what they were in the first place. Secondly, to renew our vision for our families, our loved ones. The scripture says, without vision, the people perish. And thirdly, that the Lord would revive our passion to be the best version of ourselves that we could be. So redeem our efforts, renew our vision, and revive our passion. So earlier uh, we showed the video, it's called Mothers in the Bible. You can find it on YouTube if you want to later. But there's six different moms presented, six different types of moms, each with a very unique calling and a very unique story. And we're going to look at them in a little bit more detail and learn from them and allow the Holy Spirit to minister not only to our moms, but to each one of us as we begin to look through eyes of faith. But before we get into that, in Hebrews 11, just a little, I want to set the background here. Faith is uh, an interesting subject. It's kind of like grace. It's kind of like love. Remember last week we, we saw that the, uh, the church father sent Barnabas <clears throat> to go to Antioch to see what was going on in that revival at that time. And when Barnabas got there, it says that he saw the grace of God at work. And we kind of thought about that. What did he see? You know, you can't see grace like, oh, here's grace. You know, it's not like you, you can feel it and, and touch it and see it. But, but you know when it's there. Similarly, with faith, you can't, you can't put your hands around it, but you can sense it in your heart and in your spirit. But Hebrews 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a tricky little verse right there, isn't it? But it's something you can't tangibly touch or feel, but you know when you have it. By it, the elders obtained the good testimony. We can never have a very good testimony if we're not living in faith. And by it, verse number three, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But by faith, we understand spiritual things. It's an intangible. It's something we can't really, can't really describe, but we know when we have it, and we also know when we don't have it. Follow me, if you would, in verse number 6, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When we come to him, we have to have faith. We have to believe, one, that he is. And and that's good, but that's not even enough. We have to also believe that he is one who, who rewards those who diligently run after him. So that's the difference between, oh, I believe in God and I believe in serving God. It's two different things. Most people believe in God, but we're talking here about believing in God and and believing that there's a relationship with God. And the rest of this chapter goes on. You're probably familiar with a lot of it. But in verse number 11, one of the the moms that we saw earlier is mentioned. It says in verse number, number 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child. That was, that was Isaac. 
uh, when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah is known as the promised mother, or the mother of promise. And then in verse number 23, we see Moses is born here, and his parents, one of his, his mother was, was Jochebed. She was mentioned in the video. But um, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, his mother and father, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. So by faith, Jochebed uh, took care of her son and, 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 and preserved his life. She sacrificed her life to give his life away. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then over in verse number 30, I'm just picking selected verses here. But by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down uh, after they encircled for seven days. But the story is the Lord told the army or the, the nation of Israel to march around that city with Joshua for seven, seven times and seven, uh, seven times on the last day and blow the trumpets and worship the Lord. And those walls came down because they were obedient. They were faithful. They trusted God and, uh, and they worshiped the Lord and they had great victory that day. So all that to say, we, now it's our turn to have faith. We can't describe it. We can't, we can't touch it, and, and we can't buy it, certainly. We can't go to church and pick up our allotment of faith in a little package, but we can get faith, you know, by putting our, our trust in the Lord. I, I've been thinking about this. Romans 12, uh, 3 tells us that each one has been given a measure of faith. I think back in, in the day when most of you know my story about my friend Lenny, how my friend Lenny began to share the Word of God with me, and, and something happened in my heart that, that said, Whoa, I want that. So I, I had faith, but the Word of God kind of triggered it and, and made it kind of explode. It says in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So there's something, there's a capacity in each of us to really grow and develop as a man or woman of God in faith. But hearing the word of God releases that faith in our spirit. First uh, Corinthians 12 also tells us that for some, some are given an extra measure of faith. It's called one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like a supernatural faith to believe God for, for extraordinary things in our lives or in other people's lives. So whatever, wherever you are, I want to encourage you. I want to remind you, you have faith in you, built in, in creation. And hearing the word of God releases that faith. It expands that faith. And maybe some of us will, will be gifted with one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit with a supernatural faith to trust God for extraordinary miracles. So let's go, let's go through the, the story that we saw on the video a little bit earlier. Now, I'm not going to turn to every scripture because it would take too long, but if you can do that, uh, I would encourage you to try to do that. Um, we're going to be starting in the book of Genesis, and I'll, I'll give you the scripture. I will re I'll read the scriptures from here, but I won't take the time personally to turn to it, but if you can, I think you should, if that's possible for you to do. The first person we talked about was Eve. Here's the story of creation. God made everything, and everything was good, and, um, you know, the sun and the moon and the stars and the fish and the animals and the trees, and everything was good. Um, but 
God made man. He, he called him Adam. God breathed life into Adam, and he was called a living being. That's where I believe that uh, every person who's created by God has the capacity for faith because God breathes life into us. So there's got to be a spot for him in his creation. But anyway, in Genesis 2.18, uh, you may look there in your Bible, but we read that it was not good that man would be alone. So everything was good, but the Lord kind of noticed Adam had no one to really relate with at his level. And so he caused a deep sleep to come upon uh, Adam. He, he took a rib from his side and fashioned a woman after him, uh, someone that would be uh, a, a helper for him, someone compatible uh, to, to him, not opposite, but a counterpart, um, so that Adam would no longer be alone. In Genesis 3, in verse 20, we, we see that Adam called this woman Eve, because she was the mother of the living. She was the mother of the living. And when all this was done, when chapters 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis are put together, the, the Lord says it was very good because now Adam and Eve were together. They had camaraderie. They had a relationship. Um, we read in chapter 4 and chapter 5, especially chapter 5, 3, and 4, that there were many children that Adam and Eve had. There was Cain and Abel, there was Seth, but in chapter 5 it says that Adam had many sons and daughters. So anyway, Eve, in my estimation, is the ideal mother. She had an ideal situation. Everything was looking good. And she is the first of many mothers that would follow. And she sets in motion a blueprint for mothers to follow ever since she came. So she was a helper and a companion and able-minded. She was a friend and she was a lover. And I call this an, an ideal situation. Yet, even in that ideal situation, you know the story. There was disobedience there. There was sin between Adam and Eve. One son killed another son. There was murder in the family. This must have been devastating for Eve and for Adam. And they were severely disciplined by the Lord. But yet she started again and had another son named Seth. We see that at the end of chapter 4, who carried on the promise of the coming Messiah. So Eve started out great, started out ideally, then sin came and pain came and sorrow came into the picture, and then there was restoration, and then there was the promise that continued. I wonder how many moms and how many others, others of us can relate to the story of Eve, that we may have started out in life in an ideal situation. We had everything going our way. Everything was good, but yet sin came in. And sin kind of robbed our joy and maybe even robbed our family. And I want to encourage you that, that uh, even though there was sin in the camp, there's forgiveness and grace with the Lord. Remember Adam and Eve's story that they made clothes for themselves. And the Lord said, no, that's not good enough. And he killed an animal and covered them with the, 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 the skin of an animal, representing the need for a blood sacrifice. Well, today we have a blood sacrifice to cover us. So anyway, Eve, the ideal mother. The second one that we want to talk about is Sarah. Sarah is a very interesting woman. She's the wife of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, you may want to look there, the first several verses, 
the Lord called Abraham out of the blue and, and called him to, to start his own family on earth. The people of God, the chosen people. Abraham is the, the father of Israel. And, and so the, in Genesis 12, the Lord calls Abraham and says, I want to make a great nation out of you, out of your seed, and all the nations of the world will be blessed because of you. And in Genesis 17, look over there, Genesis 17, 16 and 17, that this promise was now allocated to Sarah as well. Well, obviously, she was his wife, so she must have to play some part in it. But in verses uh, 16 and 17 of Genesis 17, the Lord says that Sarah will become a mother of nations. She'll have great descendants, will come after her, and uh, she'll be the mother of nations. Tremendous news and a tremendous promise. She's the mother of promise. The Lord promised her that she'd be the mother of many nations. There was just a big problem with all of this, because in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was now, at this point, 75 years old. Sarah was 65 years old, a little old to be starting a family, even in those days. And then 25 years went by before... Genesis 17 occurred. So now uh, Abraham is 100 and Sarah's 90 and the Lord's telling her, you're going to have a child. And her reaction was, she laughed. Well, so did Abraham. They both laughed because they thought it was crazy. But anyway, Hebrews 11, 11 that we read earlier says that, that Sarah judged him faithful who had promised and she conceived even in her old age. It sounds like a, a great story, but again, the human, the human quality uh, uh, paints a different picture. Because in her waiting time, well, nothing's happening here. So she steps out of the will of God. 25 years is a long time. She steps out of the will of God and tells Abraham, Abraham, look, you're not getting any younger. I'm beyond the age. I know what the Lord said, but maybe the Lord would take our, 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 hands, our maidservant, Hagar, and, and you could have a baby with her. And maybe that will get the ball rolling. Well, it, it might have sounded good, but it really wasn't God's best. And we know the story there that Hagar had a baby. His name was Ishmael. Through that line came the line of Mohammed and Islam. And then, but later when Sarah did become pregnant and had a baby, Isaac, through that line came Moses and everyone else, and finally the Messiah Jesus and Christianity. So Sarah didn't realize she had to be the one to give birth to Abraham's child, not her handmaid. So there's a complexity here in this story. Two men, one man, two women... Two sons that were frequently jealous or making comparisons against each other. Uh, yet she believed God for that promise, and she raised her son Isaac in the things of God, and so she's called the mother of promise. I wonder how many moms can relate to that. That maybe somewhere along the line, maybe someone had a word for you or a prophecy for you, or maybe God just kind of whispered in your ear that your child would be blessed that your child will do great things in the kingdom of God. And maybe you don't see that right now. I want to encourage you, hang on to that promise. God's not done yet. Even when we make mistakes, 
God is still able to work through those mistakes and accomplish his will. So we have Eve, we have Sarah. The third person mentioned is Leah. When I read the story of Leah, I think it's a sad story. Leah, okay, so Adam and Eve had Seth and so on and so on. Through the line came Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah had Jacob, and Jacob and Rachel had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. So, but Leah is, is a wife of Jacob. So Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. The, the promise came through Jacob and Rachel. So what, who is Leah? Well, Leah is one of the daughters of Laban. This is the story. We see it in Genesis 29, 30. But Jacob went to this place to find a wife. And he falls in love with Rachel. And Rachel's father, Laban, says, Okay, I'll give you my daughter, but you have to work for me for seven years. So Jacob works for seven years. On the night of the wedding, he realizes what his father did. He play, uh, the father did, he played a trick on Jacob and gave him not Rachel, but Leah. And so Jacob was now married to Leah and had to work another seven years to get married to Rachel. So Leah was, was in this marriage, and, she, and her husband didn't even want her in the marriage. So a couple of things about this. In Genesis 29, verse 31, we read that Leah was unloved by Jacob. I wonder how many mothers are in a marriage without love with the child's father. In Genesis 30, verse 15, Leah told her sister Rachel, you took my husband from me. And so Leah represents those in a marriage or in a relationship where there's kids and husbands and men involved, the women that have a broken heart. She basically played second fiddle to her sister Rachel. In Genesis 29, verse 17, we read that Leah had delicate or weak eyes, meaning she may have had some type of problem with her vision, maybe a handicap, whereas Rachel is listed as someone who's beautiful and special. So you get the idea that Leah Leah was always, in comparison to her sister, less than her sister. She's referred to as the forgotten mother. But in spite of all that, Leah does have seven children, six sons and one daughter by Jacob. And her sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, do they sound familiar? They make up six of the 12 sons of Jacob that become the 12 tribes of Israel. So in spite of her loneliness, her brokenness, her playing second fiddle, She was able to raise these young men to be strong, godly men of God that went on to do great things in the kingdom. So I wonder how many moms can relate to this story that you feel like you're a forgotten mom. The father of your children doesn't love you or doesn't even want you. 
But yet you have this awesome responsibility to raise their children. I want to encourage you. Don't give up the fight. God sees what you do. God loves you. God honors what you do. And God will help you through. Be faithful to the Lord. He is your strength. He is your support. And we as a church will certainly come along and and walk through this life with you. So we have Eve. We have Sarah. And we have Leah. Now we have another woman, another mother in the Bible. Her name is Jochebed. We read about her in Hebrews 11, 11. Uh, She was a godly parent of Moses. She was the wife of Amron. And in Hebrews 11, 11, it says that she was a godly parent that had great faith. And she saw that her son was beautiful. I believe there's a little bit more than physical beauty implied there. But he was a special child. He was anointed by God. And she sensed that. And she had no fear of uh, of the Pharaoh in Egypt who set out a decree to kill all the male children because at that time in Egypt, if you know the story, there were too many Jews all of a sudden. The, the Pharaoh said, there's too many Jewish people. We've got to weed out, weed them out. So they were going to kill the male children to kind of weed out the Jewish, the Hebrew population. So in this season of persecution, Moses is born and Jacobed sees what's going on, and, and, and she realizes, I'm not going to let him kill my child. He, the decree went out. All you parents, throw your male children into the Nile River that they'll drown or get eaten by an animal. Kill all the male children. Jacobed was not going to do that. The story goes, she built a basket out of reeds, and she filled it with asphalt and pitch, so that it wouldn't sink in the water. And, and she, she put her little baby, Moses, into that basket and put him in the reeds of the Nile River. I have a feeling she was aware of the vicinity where the, where the basket was put because shortly after, the basket was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter who had compassion on the child and realized this was a, a child of the Hebrews. And she had love for this child, Pharaoh's daughter did. And, and right around that time, Moses' older sister, Miriam, came by and, and, and told the, the Pharaoh's daughter, would you like for me to get one of the Hebrew women to care for the baby, to, to feed the baby, to, to nurture the baby, and so forth? And Pharaoh's daughter said, yeah, get one of the Hebrew ladies, and, and she, could, she could work with the baby. I'll even pay her to do it. So Miriam comes back and gets her mother, Jochebed, and Jochebed now begins to nurse and nurture Moses in his formative years. And for the first couple of years, she taught him the things of her forefathers, the things of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc. But it broke Jochebed's heart to leave her son in the care of Pharaoh in this evil empire of Egypt. But she did it. She sacrificed her love and her son that he would live. And God used that to turn it around. He became a great deliverer, a great leader of the people of Israel. But if his mother never sacrificially gave to him, he would never fulfill his calling in life. I wonder how many mothers feel like you're a sacrificial mother. You sacrifice so much for your children, and you feel like, boy, I just want to catch a break here. I want you to know God sees what you do, 
And there's a greater purpose involved here. God sees your, your, maybe your brokenness, maybe your sacrifices. God sees your pain. God sees your heartbreak. But God sees your love for your children. And all you want is for your children to do well in life. There are many moms out there that are working two jobs, three jobs, making ends meet, running around, going here, there, and it's all a sacrifice. It's all a sacrifice. I want to tell you, maybe you can relate to Jochebed, but God honored her and God honored her son very much because of her sacrifice. So we have the story of Eve. We have the story of Sarah. We have the story of Leah. We have the story of Jochebed. And now we have another story of Naomi. Naomi, this is a great story in the Bible. It's documented in the book of Ruth. But Naomi was a Jew married to her husband Elimelech. And at their time in Israel, there was a great famine in the land. So she and her husband decided to leave Israel and go to the land of Moab and settle down over there because there was food aplenty there. So she and her husband and their two sons went to live there. And as they were living there, after some time, the sons fell in love with some of the the Moab women, and they got married. And shortly after that, um, Naomi's husband passed away. And now she's in a foreign land where her husband died, and she's with her two sons and their wives that are not Hebrews, but but they married them. And then, then uh, after a while, the two sons die as well. And there's Naomi left in this foreign land with two daughters-in-law. Uh, and she's thinking, uh, girls, you stay here. I'm going back to my homeland. You stay here. I'm going back to Israel. Time for me to go. And one of the daughters-in-law says, yes, I will stay here with my people. But the other daughter-in-law We find it in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. She said, no, no, Naomi, where you go, I want to go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Don't make me stay here. I want to go with you. I want to be with you. And, and so Naomi said, well, okay, well, the one of them you could stay, but if you want to go with me, you can go, you can come with me. And so Ruth accompanied Naomi back to Israel. And there they settled in Israel. And Naomi became what is called a spiritual mother to Ruth. There was no blood connection. It was through marriage. But she became a spiritual mother for Ruth. She shared her faith. She shared the customs of the, of the people of Israel. Uh, she shared great information and gave great counsel regarding Ruth's relationship with Boaz, a great love story in the Bible. And then in the process of all that, instead of Naomi being a poor widow, or a poor widow with nothing, God restored her and blessed her in her last days in the land of Israel. So, so Naomi became a spiritual mom, kind of like a stepmother to Ruth, a mentor to a young lady, a teacher. And uh, they were not related by blood. They were related by spirit. And Naomi poured into Ruth. And you know how the story goes. Through Naomi's line and Ruth's line eventually came the birth of David through that line. And then through the, birth, through the line of David came the birth of the Messiah. But I wonder if there's some ladies out here, some mothers out there that are not biologically mothers, 
but your spiritual mothers to other people. There may be some young ladies in your life or some young men in your life or just people in general that you are spiritually mothering and teaching by your experience, your life, your knowledge, and so forth. I want to encourage you. God sees what you do. Other people may not see what you do, but God sees what you do, and God will honor what you do. And the last person we want to look at is Mary. Mary's story is well documented in the Gospels, Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke uh, 2 and and other places. Mary is the mother of Jesus. Um, Three things about Mary that are so important. She was innocent when she became pregnant, and she maintained her innocence all throughout her life, if you think of it. And she faced a lot of persecution, if you will, a lot of ridicule. And she felt the pain of her son. It was prophesied over her that she would see in her son a lot of pain as he goes on with his ministry and his life. But Mary was also one that was pensive, and she pondered things. We see that on two occasions. When uh, Simeon gave her a prophecy, she pondered it that in her heart. Twelve years later, when Jesus was left at the temple, um, Mary just pondered that whole situation in her heart. So she was a pensive person. But I wonder how many mothers can relate to Mary and that you've maintained an innocence. You haven't done anything wrong. I mean, you're just a person and and you're trying to do the best you can. And situations have come about where where you have children now, life is happening, and some things that are happening are not really good. And you're feeling pain, like Mary felt the pain of her son being rejected and finally being crucified. It, it crushed Mary to see that. But she was faithful to the end. She was there when Jesus died on the cross, if you remember the story. But I wonder how many, how many mothers out there can relate to Mary that you're maintaining an innocence, and yet you've been bombarded by life and by hardship, and you can't figure out, why am I going through all this? I haven't done anything wrong, really. I want to encourage you that God sees what you're dealing with. God sees the the trouble that you've encountered through no fault of your own. God is with you to walk you through these episodes of your life. And you will get through the other side of it. Remember the story with Mary. Oh, she was broken when Jesus died. But when Jesus was alive, oh my goodness. And 50 days later, who's waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come, is Mary. So Mary was restored and filled and went on with her life. We don't know what happened with her exactly. Uh, The story goes she probably ended up in Ephesus where she lived a long life there. But Mary's life was well taken care of by the Lord in spite of the hardships that she encountered earlier in life. So, So there we have these various mothers in the Bible. Let me, let me refresh your memory real quickly. Eve is the ideal mother. Ideal situations ruined by sin. Yet she continued on and had one more baby that the promise came through, Seth. There was Sarah, the mother of promise. In spite of stepping out of God's will and giving her handmaiden to Abraham, God was still faithful to her, and she had the son that was promised to her. There was Leah, the unloved mother or the forgotten mother, that through her terrible relationship with her husband, God still blessed her children and raised them up to be great men of God. Then there's Jochebed, 
the sacrificial mother who literally gave her son over to be raised by another so that he would thrive and live and carry on. And then there's Naomi, who was a spiritual mother. Maybe some stepmoms are spiritual moms as well. But Naomi was not biologically related to Ruth, but through marriage, she became Ruth's spiritual mother. And then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was innocent her whole life. Still in need of a savior, but innocent. Didn't really sin, didn't really, no record of her rebelling in any way. But still she encountered various trials and tribulations. But God was faithful to meet her need. Through the eyes of faith, how could these mothers carry on? They must have had a strong faith to trust God in the midst of their difficult, uncertain situations. God was bigger than the problem. God was bigger than their husband or even their children. God was bigger than their trial. And they faithfully stayed on track with God. So I want to encourage the moms and I want to encourage everyone today to really, let's try to see life through the eyes of faith. Everything that happens, you know, the, the saying, everything that happens, happens for a reason. I believe that that's true. Romans 8.28 is certainly true. All things work together. So whatever, whatever lot we're in right now, whatever place we're in in life, can we believe that God's going to see us through? That God's not done with any of us yet? You know, I, I have this running joke with the congregation that uh, I, I haven't said it in a while, so this is probably an opportune time to say so. But we have in this section of the, on the platform, we call it the perfect section. We're going to have chairs up here and you know, special seating for all those in the church that have arrived at perfection. Every now and then I mention it. No one ever takes me up on it, praise the Lord. It's not meant to be taken up, but it's just to make an analogy. None of us have arrived just yet. We're all a work in progress. But can we have faith that God is faithful? He who began a good work in us, you know, he is faithful to complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. So we need to buckle down, church. We need to get grounded in the things of God. The storms are going to come, absolutely, especially in families. My goodness, we live in a difficult day of age where our kids are going through a lot of stuff. But we, as the people of God, we must stand firm and, and be steadfast in our faith in the Lord. So with those thoughts, I want to give you three things to think about. I won't be long on this. But through the eyes of faith, three things to consider. First of all, we have to understand God honors faith. We have to get that. God honors faith. Whether Hebrews 11, whether it's, whether it's Abel or Enoch or Noah or Abraham or Sarah or Jochebed or Rahab or anybody mentioned in that chapter, the prophets, God honors faith. Hebrews eleven six. check it out. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When we come to God, we have to believe, one, that he is. But that's not all. Two, we have to believe that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We have to have faith. We have to see things through the eyes of faith that God honors faith. He gives us faith and he honors faith. Think of it. When he breathed life into Adam, when he breathed life into us, he left the capacity for faith. 
Romans 12, 3. Everyone has been given a measure of faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So when we hear the word, when we meditate on the word, when we study the word of God, our faith explodes within us. We must be a people of faith. Psalm 68, verse 1. We used to sing this all the time. It says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Yeah, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. I would sometimes substitute, let faith arise and let our enemies be scattered. Yeah, so we have it. We were, we're born with a place for it and we need to develop it and, and let God work through us and let faith abound in our lives. So through the eyes of faith, number one, God honors faith. When you entrust your children to the Lord, how many have dedicated you know, our children to the Lord when they're little, or maybe not so little for some? But I, I, we dedicated our children many years ago, and I believe God remembers those prayers. And God, God is working in the hearts of my children and our grandchildren. We gave them to the Lord. I have faith that God's not done yet with our kids or grandkids, nor with yours. So let's have faith that God honors faith. Number two is this, as we, as we see through eyes of faith, that the next generation is watching us. Oh, I know that to be so true. I know that to be so true. Our children, our grandchildren, your, the friends of your children are watching. The kids at church are watching. You know, kids at church learn how to behave or misbehave in church. I liked what one of our brothers said on Wednesday night during our Bible study under the comment section. I happened to catch it in the middle of my teaching. I, I noticed a comment. Someone said, I feel like I'm whispering in church and I'm going to get caught. <laughs> but, but anyway, people are learning by the adults' behavior in church. So, uh, so yeah, kids are always watching us in our neighborhoods, our extended families, our relatives, our nieces and nephews. I know this to be true. My nephew, JJ, he told me some years ago, he said, you know, Uncle Ricky, when we were young, I was always watching you and Aunt Pam and the way you did things. You're always in church. You always gave us presents that had some type of a spiritual meaning to it. And you're always praying at the table and this and that. He said, but I was watching you. And now, some years ago, J.J. gave his heart to the Lord. I think in some small way, we played a part in that process. But kids are watching us. People are watching us. The next generation is watching us. So how we live is very important. Um, if you want to turn to it, you don't have to, but Exodus 33, verses 8 through 11. We looked at this passage for the last two weeks, actually. But here's the story. Moses leaves the camp of the Israelites and goes to another place to the tabernacle to meet with God, to worship God, to hear from God. It says all the people were standing at their tent door watching Moses. So Moses is setting a good example for the people, for the children, as he worships the Lord. Well, Moses finishes doing what he had to do. But Moses' understudy, Joshua, was there with him. As Moses came back to the camp, Joshua stayed at the tabernacle and continued to worship the Lord there, kind of taking in the afterglow of the presence of God. 
And here we have, we have an analogy that, that people are watching. And Joshua was watching Moses, certainly, as the leader. Joshua is the understudy. And when Moses' time came and Moses died, the Lord raised up Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. But he spent years following in the footsteps of Moses. And the story goes on. Uh, as Joshua had Moses, Daniel had a group of friends that always watched him when they were taken captive to Babylon. Uh, Daniel had friends that, that would look at him for leadership and direction. We think of Elijah, the prophet, had an understudy named Elisha that watched how he did things. And we think about uh, David with his mighty men of valor. Everyone's watching the leader, watching the, the elder in the process. And, and typically, the next generation is always watching how the elders, how the grown-up people do things and live their lives out. I certainly did all my life. I watched the elders of my church, how they would worship, how they would pray, how they would live, how they would talk, how they would kind of, how their demeanor would be. I learned from watching the elders of the church. Well, now it's our time to let our example flow to our children. We're the adults. We're the grown-ups. And uh, maybe some of us aren't ready to hear that, but we are the grown-ups. And kids are watching us. You know, Jesus had the 12. He had the 70. There's 120 in the upper room. He was influencing all these people. But there's certain stories in the Bible. Jesus allowed the children to come and sit on his lap. He blessed them and touched them and pray over them. Paul had Timothy and Silas, Barnabas, younger than he was. He was mentoring them, teaching them, raising them up. Peter had John Mark. And we have our kids and our young people, the next generation that's watching us. Psalm 145, verse 4 says this, that one generation shall praise your work to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I love that scripture. One generation will praise your work to another and declare your mighty acts. In other words, my generation will praise God to the next generation and declare the mighty works of God. How will they know God is real unless they see it happening in our lives? The next generation is definitely watching us. How we live, what we say, how we do what we do. And they're even watching, listen to this, they're watching how we repent. How we say, I was wrong, or I was sorry. It's okay to do that, you know, parent. It's okay. It's okay to be wrong. And our kids will learn it's, it's a good thing to own up to mistakes. I think of 2 Timothy 1.5, when Paul says to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, I remember the genuine faith of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that faith is now in you. Uh, how I want that for my kids and my grandkids. I want someone to say, oh, I remember your grandfather, Rick Amendola, and your, your grandma, uh, Pamela Amendola. I, I want people to remember the grandparents, the, the parents of people of faith. But it starts now. We can't wait. It starts now. And there's no ideal situation. We are who we are. We, we're, we're where we're at. We, we can't change where we're at. This is it. Life is happening. Now is the time to put our faith in the Lord and to see things through the eyes of faith. So through eyes of faith, 
we have to really believe and know that God honors faith. And we have to understand that the next generation is watching us. Certainly, they are. And the third thing is this, and I want to turn to this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 14 to 16. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 to 16. The third point is this. We are all leaving a legacy. We're leaving a mark. Well, the Scriptures calls it, we're leaving an aroma, a scent. We're leaving something that reminds people of who we are. And it already started. So in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, says this. Turn there with me. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Hallelujah. There's always a victory available. And through us diffuses or manifests the presence of his knowledge in every place. That is an awesome scripture. We're leaving a legacy. We're leaving our mark. Whether we realize it or not, we're leaving our imprint upon our family and upon our society. Um, Verses uh, 15 and 16 describe or explain what he's talking about. We are to God the fragrance of Christ. Okay, we are to God the fragrance of Christ. So, So the Lord, our Father God, we're a fragrance to him. We're the fragrance of Christ, his beloved son. That's a good thing. But among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So we're leaving an aroma. We're leaving a fragrance. We're leaving our mark among people who are being saved and people who are not being saved. Okay, then he goes in verse 16. To the ones... Uh, we are the aroma of death leading to death to those that are not saved. In other words, our lives are reminding those that don't know Christ that without Christ, their end is certainly death and eternal death. That's, that's what we're displaying to them. But to those that are being saved, we're, we're displaying to them, in verse number 16, um, the aroma that is leading to life or eternal life. And so, so our fragrance is telling the unsaved, you've got to get saved and get right. And to the saved, we're saying, we're encouraging you to keep on going. So what, what fragrance, what legacy are you beginning to leave in your life? It's beginning now. It's already happening. How will you be remembered as a person of faith, a person who trusts in God, a person whose fragrance is one, although not perfect, I'm not going there, but consistently trusting in God, praying to God, you know, honoring God, pouring into the kids, telling the kids you love them and you're praying for them. Our kids used to say all the time, when I would say, okay, one more thing, they'd say, oh, I know, Dad, you, you love us, I, we get that. But I would keep telling, I keep telling them today, I love you, I want to keep pouring in, keep pouring in, because I know one day I won't be here to tell them anymore. I want that to, that to be ingrained in their spirit, that their father loves them so much. So, is your faith encouraging believers? Is your faith telling non-believers there's an alternative way to live? That's our legacy. So through the eyes of faith, we're talking about vision this month. Last week, what do you see? This week, Seeing through the eyes of faith. All of life through the eyes of faith. Let's, let's remember these three things. 
God honors faith. Let's remember that the next generation is absolutely watching us. And let's remember that we are already beginning to leave a legacy behind. Well, when we started this message, I said to, there were three things I wanted to address and incorporate into this word. And one was that the Lord would redeem our efforts. I could just imagine some of us are thinking back on our lives, on our parenting, on the decisions we made with our families and looking back on it. Maybe they weren't the, great, the greatest decisions. Maybe we could have done things better. But can we trust God to redeem those efforts, even though they weren't perfect? Can we trust God to renew our vision and not to lose sight of the fact that the same God that loved us and saved us can, can love, does love and can save our children, and God has a plan for their lives as well? Can we pray that God would renew that vision for us? And can we trust the Lord that he would revive our passion to be the best person, the best version of ourselves that we could be at this time. Redeem our efforts, renew our vision, and revive our passion. And to those things I say, yes, Lord, do it, do it, do it. So I'm going to close out in prayer right now. So if you can, uh, find a place to pray, and let's just get quiet before the Lord for a moment. Dear Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for Mother's Day. Thank you for all the mothers. We pray blessings over each one, over each type of mother that we talked about already. We pray, Lord, that each mom would would sense your pleasure with them and that each mom would sense that you're still working in them and through them and there's still much more for all of us to do. So we pray your blessing, Lord, upon moms, upon children, upon grandchildren, upon husbands and men. Maybe some of the men are taking the role of mothers. We pray for them as well. We pray for New Life Christian Assembly of God to be a great uh, place of healing and restoration and growth for people of our community. We thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the examples we looked at in your word today. Lord, may may we begin today more than ever before really begin to see all of life through the eyes of faith. We thank you. We praise you for this, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, let me encourage you, um, if you want to stop by the church to pick up a flower, uh, there's several left, so we'll leave the the foyer door open by the parking lot. Uh, Feel free to come by, get one or two if you you want. And... um, Yeah, between 1 and 3. That'll be fine. And then we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock for our hour of prayer. Well, happy Mother's Day. So glad you joined us. God bless you. See you soon.